0: Uh, when he was fired from Fox, various big players from Russian state media immediately started offering Tucker Carlson jobs in Russia and said, we'll give you your own show on Channel One or we'll give you your own show on this channel. All of them, of course, either controlled by the Kremlin or owned by it outright.
1: Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Thursday, February 8th. Today, I'm joined by Julia Yaffe with her take on Tucker Carlson's controversial interview with Vladimir Putin in the Kremlin and what she's watching for. Julia also has the story of Brett McGurk, a lifer in the Washington foreign policy establishment, and why he has so many haters in DC these days. We'll discuss all that and much, much more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. So trust me on this one. Visit sleep.me/slash. Powers to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code POWERS. This offer is available exclusively for Powers That Be listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleepsleep.me slash POWERS because you're not just investing in better sleep, you're creating a better life. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome to the Powers That Be. It's Peter. I'm back. I was sick for a couple of days. Thanks to Ben and John for covering for me. I know I leave a huge hole when I'm gone, but you know, they shouldered the load. I'm joined today by Julia yafi to talk about the Biden administration's foreign policy and a very curious player on the team. But first, Julia, welcome to the show. I want to ask you. I've been really wanting to ask you about something that popped on Twitter earlier this week and was everywhere, which is Tucker Carlson saying that he's going to Russia to interview Vladimir Putin. No other Western journalist has tried to do this. They're not brave. They don't want to hear the truth about what's going on in Ukraine. But Tucker, Tucker will be the guy. What was your reaction when you saw this?
0: Well, right now I'm wondering if the microphones we have are good enough to pick up the sound of my eyes rolling. <laughs> uh, so I thought a lot of different things. First, I thought, you know, of all the journalists who we know have submitted interview requests for Putin and have either been completely ignored or rejected. I also thought about the fact that the Kremlin. And Kremlin-controlled media have long loved Tucker Carlson. You know, they quoted, back when he was on Fox, they quoted him all the time, both in news shows and political talk shows. He was their kind of darling. Mm. I also thought about how uh, when he was fired from Fox, various big players from Russian state media immediately started offering Tucker Carlson jobs in Russia, and said, we'll give you your own show on Channel 1, or we'll give you your own show on this channel. All of them, of course, either controlled by the Kremlin or owned by it outright. And it just made me think how there's a kind of, um, like, yes, you can say, oh, it's a misinformation campaign, disinformation campaign, and it's all of that. Um, So when Vladimir Putin keeps talking about the war in Ukraine in terms of, fighting queers, fighting gender-neutral bathrooms in Ukraine. He is doing that in order to be seen and heard and amplified by the American far right, who is now holding up funding for Ukraine, which is now running out of ammunition and weaponry in fighting Russia. And, um, you know, it was Tucker right before the invasion around this time two years ago, He did a whole segment on his show and asked, why is it that we're aligning ourselves with Ukraine when we should be allies with Vladimir Putin? He is uh, a white Christian nationalist. We have more in common with uh, him culturally, and, and we should, than with kind of queer, weird, in his view, alternate nationalistic Ukraine. You know, fast forward two years, He's lost his show on Fox, but not his affinity for Russian authoritarianism.
1: A lot of journalists, us included, Christian Amanpour uh, on Twitter also like was sneering at the fact that Carlson, you know, suggested that he's the only one who has tried to interview Putin. Um, I, I just want to point out that even Dmitry Peskov, the spokesman for the Kremlin, that was came amazing. Mister Carlson is wrong. We receive many requests for interviews. With the president okay so i get the journalist crankiness over this but i do want to talk about what we think tucker is going to talk to putin about and you know what i'm more interested in at this point is just the substance of the interview which because of what you just said i can assume it's going to be very sympathetic very pro-russia in terms of their conduct in ukraine tucker carlson has basically been a cheerleader for Viktor orban who is a putin sika fan the last time Putin was interviewed by a Western reporter was in late 2021 on CNBC by Hadley Gamble. And then the war began uh, early the following year. So there hasn't been a Western journalist who's interviewed Putin. Not that Tucker Carlson's going to take cues from you, but like, what do you you must be like interested to see what he says. Right. I mean, I want to I want to see him do an interview with a Western reporter because all we've really seen are like press conferences at this point.
0: Okay, so yes, before I answer your question, I just want to get back to the very beginning of the question about Biscoff kind of calling Mm -hmm. Tucker out for lying, essentially. But the reason he did that wasn't because Tucker lied and Biscoff doesn't like lies. It was because Tucker basically implied that nobody wants to talk to Putin and that Putin isn't interesting to people in the West. So he had to then come out, right? He had to then come out and say, actually, no, everyone wants to interview Vladimir Putin. He's just playing hard to get. Thank you very much. So that I just thought was incredible. And then on top of that, you had Twitter, which is owned by Elon Musk, which is going to broadcast one of the two platforms that's going to broadcast uh, Tucker's interview with Putin Mm -hmm. And Elon Musk is also kind of a Putin sycophant. Also, Twitter is banned in Russia. So for everyone keeping score at home, the platform owned by Elon Musk is fact-checking Tucker Carlson by quoting Peskov, Putin's spokesman. And there's a Russian expression that I love uh, when a bad person does something else, something bad to another bad person, and it's called a toad fucking a snake. <laughs> and I feel like here it's kind of like, I, I don't know, um, like a tarantula fucking a toad fucking a snake. It's just kind of amazing. It's just like the <laughs> layers of it. Yeah, and also just seeing Tucker in front of the Kremlin talking about First Amendment rights and how we're born with the right for free speech. And in the meantime, you know, Russia's handing out sentences to 75-year-old ladies Sending them to jail for many years for sharing social media posts. I mean, this literally happened. And Western late. journalists. I mean, Western journalists, yes, obviously. We have also Kormasheva, We have Evan Gershkovich. But Russians themselves do not have freedom of speech. They are being sent to jail by the thousands right now for speaking out against the war, for uh, speaking out against the government, Literally, a young woman was sentenced to jail for wearing earrings that had little rainbows in them because in November of last year, the Kremlin declared that the international LGBT movement is an extremist movement on par with ISIS and the Taliban. So they sent a young woman to jail for many years for wearing rainbow earrings. And here is Tucker motherfucking Carlson talking about... How he's the only one brave enough to say anything, and how people are born with the right to express themselves and how everyone's entitled to the truth. And it's like, fuck you, man. Fuck you. You're right. Everyone is entitled to the truth. Everybody does have a right to express themselves, including Russians. Including Russians. You piece of shit.
1: So what do you want to hear? What are you interested? What do you want to hear? What are you interested in? To hear from Putin, I mean, th- like, is there, I don't know. There's got to be something where you're just like, even have been waiting to hear from this guy for two years. He hasn't been totally dark, but I don't know. No, he's been he's been talking, and, come out of you this. Know,
0: he's also, what's interesting is he doesn't even uh, call on Western journalists anymore at his stupid press conferences mm. that last like 73 hours. So fuck Tucker Carlson for that too. But uh, what I would want to hear from Putin is how he still sees the war going? Does he still think he's going to take Kiev and bite off, you know, two-thirds of Ukrainian territory and leave this kind of Galician rump state for Eastern Europe? I'd also want to hear him talk about Biden and Trump because we know what his plan is, right? His plan of victory in Ukraine is, A, to get idiots like Marjorie Taylor Greene and company to vote against any kind of aid to Ukraine, and also to have Donald Trump come to power and uh, basically hand Ukraine to him on a silver platter and nuke NATO by withdrawing the US from the alliance. Um, I should also say that that's also the plan of Itamar Ben-Gvir, the kind of fascist interior minister of Israel, who last weekend also said that he, if it weren't for Biden, constantly pressing them to make, you know, deliver aid and restrain themselves. You know, he, he wishes there was Donald Trump in the White House so that they could do whatever the fuck they wanted in Gaza. The last thing I would say that I, I'm curious to hear Putin opine on is kind of all the weird family value shit that the Russian government has been pushing incredibly aggressively and violently in Russia and using that to kind of continue to butter up the American right because he he understands very well who he's talking to and who Tucker's audience is and who they vote for. So I wonder how he's going, going to try to address them using Ukraine, using Russia and the American culture wars to win over those people further. So that's what I'm looking for.
1: Well, we'll find out today, I think. I think the interview is supposed to air at some point today. Julia, uh, I want to take a quick break, and when we come back, I want to ask you about the a curious Washington figure, Brett McGurk, a survivor of multiple Republican and Democratic administrations, and why that's the case. Hey, Powers That Be listeners, I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Welcome back to The Powers of Be, everybody. You might not know the name Brett McGurk. I remember the name from when I worked at CNN. I feel like he was a name during the Bush administration when they were waging war in Iraq. Turns out, according to Julia, this piece I read this week that she filed, a very deep piece on Brett McGurk. He has worked for Bush, Obama, Trump, and Biden, doing various foreign policy roles. Julia, you went deep. On Brett McGurk this week. I wanna ask you why, but let me, I wanna lead with your lead here. Quote, everyone in Washington, it seems, loves to hate on Brett McGurk. Quote, I don't think I've ever met anyone who likes him, one former senior State Department official said of the seemingly indestructible DC lifer who is currently President Biden's Middle East coordinator on the National Security Council. Quote, literally at the end of my book club the other night, this came up. Every administration, he gets promoted one level up and no one understands why. How did he get here? Everyone in town has the same question, and no one has a good answer for it. Julia, Washington is filled with people who are lifers, who just sort of bounce around from think tank to administration to think tank to law firm to administration. Why did you decide to go in on Brett McGurk, and what makes people so cranky about him?
0: Well, the reason I wanted to write about Brett McGurk who has an amazing name. It sounds like um, it sounds like a made up name. Like they were trying to figure out like what the lead character in Homeland was gonna be called and they were like, no, Brett McGurk sounds too made up. Let's go with something else.
1: It does sound like a Tom Clancy name. Right?
0: <laughs> so the reason I wanted to write about him is because he's become such a kind of boogeyman for the progressive left in Washington. And then when I started digging into that, it turns out, oh, lots of people don't like him for lots of different reasons. Again, lots of people like him for different reasons. And sometimes they like him, the people who like him like him for the same reasons that the people who don't like him don't like him, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And one of those reasons is, and you can imagine why some people would admire him for this. And some people might loathe him for this is exactly what you said which is how many people you know given the kind of the sectarian nature of american politics these days how many people can you name that have served in high positions for such different radically different presidents bush mm-hmm. obama trump biden and handling some pretty sensitive issues in the middle east right and his defenders say you know name me another person who can put kind of the partisan warfare aside, and focus on the issue and get stuff done and there are those who say how can you work for trump and then go work for biden or how can you have worked for obama and then go work for trump like this man has no moral compass he is a realist to the point of kind of mm, moral turpitude and again, it's like he, like so many people in DC, he's a kind of DC Rorschach test I discovered, um, which made him even more fascinating to me.
1: Julia's piece is called "Who's Afraid of Brett McGurk?" So, who is afraid of Brett McGurk, Julia? Why, why, why do progressives not like him specifically?
0: So, progressives, um, progressives don't like him because they feel he. Well, they don't like him because he's a white guy who doesn't speak Arabic, even though he's been focusing and working on the region for 20 years. They also feel that he's kind of a realist and he's not driven by values like human rights. But I don't think, you know, before October 7th, most of them knew who he is. Uh, He's come to be a kind of lightning rod for them because they see him as uh, the kind of the chief proponent of the Abraham Accords, which they feel threw Palestinians under the bus, and that all the stuff in the Abraham Accords, uh, which was, you know, the Trump project normalizing ties between Israel and various Arab countries. So Bahrain, Morocco, uh, UAE, and then lastly, Saudi Arabia. So uh, they feel that the stuff in there about... Uh, The Palestinian component was all kind of lip service, pro forma, box ticking. But McGurk's defenders say, like, actually, you know, the Abraham Accords weren't his projects. That was uh, Jared Kushner, Donald Trump. And now he has stuck with them because they have worked in other ways or they worked to stabilize the region until they didn't. Right. Mm -hmm. And... Now, I think even his opponents are starting to realize, look, if ending this conflict, if giving Palestinians a real political horizon, if creating a real durable and just solution or pathway out of this war and this crisis lies through Saudi normalization, i.e. Israel has to give up something or a lot on the Palestinian issue in order to get what it wants, which is normalization of ties, diplomatic ties with Saudi Arabia, the kind of the seat of the Muslim world. And if that's the thing that does it, then why the hell not, right? And again, that kind of pragmatism is what some people in D.C. really like about him and what progressives Mm -hmm. don't like about him, right? Because pragmatism is soulless, pragmatism is... You're giving up the fight, you're compromising, you're selling out, etc. And the line I keep coming back to, uh, you know, I talked to a lot of people for this piece, including Arabists and specialists in the region and people who served in various administrations, uh, including with Brett McGurk. One of them said something really interesting, which is, well, a lot of people said the following, which is that, you know, ultimately the president owns the policy, and especially this president who has very, very strong views on things like Israel and the Middle East, uh, because he has a, a depth of expertise and a wealth of knowledge on this himself from his own experience. And to some extent, Brett McGurk is kind of just channeling that. And this source mm-hmm. uh, who used to be a former Obama. Uh, Pentagon official said something very kind of witty, but telling and interesting to me. They said, you know, it's not like Joe Biden would be marching down 16th Street wearing a keffiyeh if it weren't for Brett McGurk, as in yeah, like, I mean, the, right, like the progressives hate Brett McGurk, but the, it's not a Brett McGurk problem. It's a Biden problem. It's an American foreign policy over the last 50 years problem. But he's yes. just the kind of the, the embodiment of that, this kind of avatar for everything they hate about American foreign policy in the Middle East over the last 20 years, which he, to be fair, has had a lot to do with. Because, like you said at the beginning of this uh, segment, he has touched it at every point over the last four administrations. And so he makes a very kind of convenient foil for people.
1: If he is an emblem of pragmatism, I have a feeling that Joe Biden, at least when it comes to foreign policy, is the king of pragmatism. <laughs> McGurk can take some arrows here, but um, you know Biden is an institutionalist yep. as well. But as you say, quoting a former CIA officer about McGurk on background, quote, what a dickhead. Uh, <laughs> everyone go read Julia's piece to get all sides of the fascinating tale of DC lifer, Brett McGurk. Julia, thank you so much. Enjoy. Tucker's interview with Putin, I'm sure you're just going to sit down, have a nice glass of wine and not uh, get angry at all.
0: And and just puke into my glass of wine. Thank you, Peter.
1: (laughs) Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance.